verses of Psalm 119. It starts in, thank you, Scott, by the way. Uh, it starts at 161, 161. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies, for all my ways are before you. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. And that ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word. A rather striking end to this psalm is that last verse. Okay, well, let's, let's begin, and you'll just see by way of introduction. You know, it is a new year. This is the first Lord's Day of this new year, and a, a little bit of my weird sense of humor. It's 2020. Will we see clearly in it? Uh, and we will do more so if we will heed the instructions of God's Word. So we're going to look to God through His Word. So the, you'll see a brief review. I just mainly picked up the points here. Uh, I think the if I, I tried to summarize what is Psalm 119 all about, and I made the distinction that I, it is certainly about God's law, but it is... Better, I think, to say that it is through the law that the psalmist is looking for his relationship with the Lord to be enhanced and grown. And so I, I have phrased it, it is about the joy of knowing God through the prayerful intake of his word. And we'll see tonight the importance, I think, of even in times of distress, persecution, and trial. I gave some general information about the psalm last time. This psalm is about the way of blessedness. Verses 1 and 2 start with that word. So here again, God intends His word to be the pathway of our blessedness. It consists in knowing and walking with the Lord. The proper approach to God's Word is sincere prayer. We're going to mention more of that tonight. I mentioned the only real test of dealing with the Word of God is conformity to its teaching. And I gave you some samples there. 
just a, a point, a general point of application that God's law is his highest and best will for us. He wants us to be the people he has designed us to be and in whom his image is made visible. So tonight, let's begin. And you'll see main point one. The Lord is always speaking in and through his word. I was deeply struck because when I read A.W. Tozier's comments about this, and I know you didn't come to be read to tonight, but but this I thought was such a significant quote because I think I was guilty of what he described. Tozier lived, uh, I think he spent most of his time in the Chicago area, like the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, in that time frame. But he says this, I believe that much of our religious unbelief is due to a wrong conception of and a wrong feeling for the scriptures of truth. A silent God, in other words, he begins to describe, I think, what most of us think. A silent God suddenly began to speak in a book, and when the book was finished, lapsed back into silence again forever. Now we read the book as the record of what God said when he was for a brief time in a speaking mood. With notions like that in our heads, how can we believe? The facts are that God is not silent, has never been silent. It is the nature of God to speak. The second person of the Holy Trinity is called the Word. The Bible is the inevitable outcome of God's continuous speech. It is the infallible declaration of his mind for us put into our familiar human words. I think a new world will arise out of the religious mist when we approach our Bibles with the idea that it is not only a book which was once spoken, but a book which is now speaking. The prophets habitually said, Thus saith the Lord, they meant their hearers to understand that God's speaking is in the continuous present. We may use the past tense properly to indicate that at a certain time a certain word of God was spoken, but a word of God once spoken continues to be spoken as a child once born continues to be alive or a world once created continues to exist. And those are but imperfect illustrations for children die and worlds burn out. But the word of God, our God endures forever. And so here's his application. If you would follow on... To know the Lord, come at once to the open Bible, expecting it to speak to you. Do not come with the notion that it is a thing which you may push around at your convenience. It is more than a thing. It is a voice, a word, the very word of the living God. Now He's not talking, and by the way, this is not, point does not give any credence to continuing revelation in the sense of additional books of the Bible coming. But he's speaking about the nature of God's Word. I think it's very important. And because you may not be as familiar with Tozer or may have some question marks, I've chose a couple of thoroughly Reformed people that say very similar. John Frame, who's done an an astounding amount of thought. on uh, He's written a book, The Doctrine of the Word of God. Listen to his comment. Wherever the Word is... God is. God accompanies His Word to bring it to pass. 
So the word is never an impersonal object or force. It is God himself drawing near to us. And he gives some statements there. As we hear or read the word, God speaks it to us. A little later, he says, In an important sense, the word of Scripture is always contemporary. God speaks God speaks it in our hearing, our time, our culture. One of my favorite Old Testament scholars, Alec Motier, says this very briefly. When we, think about now, when we open our Bibles, this book, you probably have who knows how many Bibles in your household. When we open our Bibles, He is always there, and we have come into His classroom. Every classroom, done rightly, has a personal teacher present. And so I think that's good. And just to, now, now you say, well, that's a lot of nice words from men. We were talking about the Word of God. But, but look at uh, some Scripture support and for a more clear Example, I go to Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, and you're familiar with that. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. But note that it's, it's not dead words. It's not mere words, but it comes with force because it's still, God is still speaking through it. It is living and active. And you'll see that I go ahead and quote through, um, Verse 13, and it is interesting, there is a a seeming shift. Verse 12 specifically mentions the living and active Word of God, but suddenly and very easily you can see how the author of Hebrews says in verse 13, and now no creature is hidden from His sight. See, His Word is, is in a sense no real step to move from His Word which examines us and divides us to the fact that God sees all. Turn to, uh, turn to Hebrews 3, 7 through 11. I just want you to see this uh, real quickly. So I, I hope you'll have a Bible there. Hebrews chapter 3, the author of Hebrews is in this certain argument about the fact that God is giving His people a rest and it is a rest yet to come. Joshua, in bringing the children of Israel into the promised land, did not actually give them the rest, the full rest that God has promised. But note, as he's developing this, matter of fact, if you've got a study Bible, it'll probably start this section, Hebrews 3 at verse 7, uh, a rest for the people of God. But he says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit, what? Says. It's not by mistake that it's present tense. It's not, therefore, as the Holy Spirit said. Now, the Holy Spirit did say it, past tense, because a, the psalmist wrote it. The psalmist wrote it Let's see, so the psalmist wrote it approximately maybe about a thousand years prior. A thousand years. Think about that. God, under inspiration, had the psalmist write what we know as Psalm 45. Um, I think it's 45. Might, 
Am I right on that, or is it 85? Psalm 95. I knew there was five in there. Psalm 95. God had a psalmist write it approximately a thousand years ago. But do you see the thinking of the author of Hebrews? It's still speaking. God, not it in a sense. God is still speaking the same things. And the fact that we read it, we are to op- when we open our Bibles here, God Himself is still speaking. He's still saying, today if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. It's still that kind. That's, that's not me preaching only, but God, you see, is still speaking through the Word. I gave you a, I just, for my own benefit, I just pulled a note from the study Bible, ESV study body. But so, so by way of application, do we, will we, when we read our Bibles, will we read them in this way? When you open your Bible, maybe that's a helpful way to, to put you in the right frame of reference. By the opening of this book, I have entered the classroom of God where He is present and, uh, and His Word is active in speaking. In 2020, will we do that? Okay, second thing, we must move on. Uh, his Word is always to be sought, no matter our life situation. One might say, well, uh, you know, anybody that can compose Psalm 119 is probably one of those elite priestly caste people, had a, had a servant that brought him meals or something, he could hang out at the temple and meditate and all of that kind of stuff. Absolutely not true. This is where you'll, you're now looking at a page and you're seeing, uh, I don't know how many scriptures this is, and I'm just going to, I've tried to highlight them, but look at this description of what this person particularly experienced. Uh, verse 22, Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimony. By the way, one of the, I think I mentioned earlier in the last sermon, one, a, a, a person to think about that fits the category of this author is somebody like Daniel or maybe one or all of his, his three uh, partners there in Babylon. Think about that. They're in a hostile nation. You know Daniel well enough, the book Daniel, to know that there was opposition, there was death threats and death attempts on their lives. You all know since childhood, Daniel in the lion's den, Right? So, so you can think about that, but we also know Daniel was such a righteous uh, person in, in, the, uh, in the descriptions given. So anyway, you see scorn and contempt, but yet he has been obedient. Uh, and you'll just see some notes that I pulled from other people. Uh, uh, 23, even though princes sit plotting against me, that's pretty significant there. He remains faithful. Uh, verse 42, a little bit further, the idea of taunting. The psalmist prays, as all believers should, that the promises of God would be fulfilled. God in covenant love acts to fulfill all His promises to His people. The enemy is a scorner, though. Um, you'll see references just working through the page. You know, he has encountered insolent people that deride him. There are the wicked that are seeking to ensnare him. 
the ins- look at number 69. The insolent smear me with lies. What if that's your case at work where you know you're innocent, but there's a coworker or somebody who's gossiping and spreading? You, we hate those kinds of situations. This man had no easy life whatsoever. Um, so I, I will not read them all, but uh, down at verse 86, they that's persecute, that's a strong word. They persecute me with falsehood. Uh, verse 87, they have almost made an end of me on earth. This person is greatly oppressed, afflicted, suffering, and yet you see in every verse he has not taken one step away from God and His Word. But my guess is it has been precisely uh, a tool in which He has enhanced His communion with God through His Word. So if you go to the next page, you'll see, uh, I mentioned another category, B. You see age, gender, economic, all these other things. In other words, if, if distress and suffering and being lied and persecuted and those kinds of things do not drive a person, do not give any uh, rationale for a person backing away from God's Word, then certainly age doesn't. Matter of fact, we just sang, right? How shall, how shall a young man keep his way pure? Uh, so it's how, how will an old man be wise? How will everybody in between? What about riches and things? None of, none of these things, and I think that's very important. You'll see my application. The scriptures never see hardship, trials, suffering, mistreatment in life as a reason, an excuse, a justification for turning aside from the Lord and His Word. And therefore his people, his covenant community, because if he's being faithful to the word, he's going to be staying faithful with God's covenant people. I've been in the ministry a while. Your ruling elders have been in the ministry a while. And I know Will has, and and perhaps in your own experience. But we we see faces and we know names Matter of fact, if, if uh, Richard Jones doesn't mind, in his Sunday school class, he mentioned one of the reasons people pull away. What's this, what's this pulling away from the church and being a nun today? So N-O-N-E. You know, I'm not going to... Well, well um, I was so mistreated by people at church. I can't do that. You don't see, because much of the opposition and much of the suffering recorded in Scripture comes from within the covenant community. Classic case in point. Where did the betrayer of our Lord Jesus arise? From the twelve. It's been something that's been going on for literally ever since. I think there's been a covenant community. And I want you to see It's very important. I don't know what your experiences have been and what you've gone through, from whether it's from people within the church or people outside, work, whatever. But nothing in this worldly life 
is to put a wedge between you getting to God through His Word. I hope that point's made well enough. Our psalmist remains a man of orthodoxy, right doctrine and, and thinking, as well as orthopraxy, right practice, since he's dealing with God's law, his life is going to be characterized by that. All right, main point three. His word reveals, God's word reveals how we are to, I use the word import it, uh, import God's word into ourselves. And so once again, a whole bunch of scriptures, but I, I think this is important. Would we not expect, if God's Word is so crucial to our daily lives, our Christian lives, would we not expect it to have some help in how we deal with this book? Well, I think the answer is yes. And so, thus, these verses. I mentioned last week, and I just wanted to emphasize this, obviously prayer becomes crucial. The Holy Spirit had it written by people of old, and it is His ministry to particularly take the things of the Word, God, the Holy Spirit, taking God's Word and applying it to our lives. And therefore, what that tells me is that I need to pray to understand. And so you, you and, and by no stretch, uh, I mean, I haven't remotely covered the number of prayers. This is a mere sampling. But look at the language used. Oh Lord, teach me. That's a prayer. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of you. A prayer. Make me understand. Strengthen me. Graciously teach me. Teach me, O oh Lord. Give me understanding. Lead me. Incline my heart. Confirm to your servant your promise. Teach me good judgment and knowledge. You see, these things we we don't have, we don't have good judgment, knowledge, wisdom, uh, the knowledge of right and wrong uh, in our own right. Sin has distorted all of that, and so the psalmist is rightly saying, "As I open your book, O Lord, in which you speak, my my posture." is that of prayer. It's, a, it's that of dependence. It's that I'm putting my, I will put myself under your instruction in your classroom. Teach me. And one of the prayers that particularly stood out to me in this study, look at the second one. Second category, category B. He especially prays for life. It's the idea of revival, of of renewal. It's the, it's the simple, it's a simple, uh, Hebrew verb to live, but it's actually, there's a way in Hebrew to intensify it with a, a different, uh, uh, case of, of verb. And, and so it gets translated often to, uh, to get, to, to enliven me, to renew me, to, to, uh, some of these, uh, translations are Make me live. Make me live. And you see it there. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. And I love what Kidner says. He's a wonderful commentator on Psalms. Uh, this is important. In all the prayers in this psalm about life, the Hebrew is the same. 
cause me to live. This acknowledges the direct dependence of vitality. That's just another fancy word for life. The direct dependence of vitality on God. This singer is no legalist, content with a round of duties. All of this talk, all of his references to law and statutes and commands and all that, he is no legalist. He will press for nothing short of God's vitalizing touch. Otherwise, his religion, he knows, will be dead. I thought that was an insightful commentary, and, and I'll just leave it to you. But look at, I mean, everyone I list, some form of, Lord, give me life. And I hope, I hope you feel that. I feel that. In my day-to-day, uh, day-to-day living, often, you, uh, I mean, our hymns reflect this, the dimness of soul, the hardness of heart, the, the slowness to believe. Lord, give me life according to your word. Okay, so we're talking about how we bring the word of God into our lives. And so we said through prayer, especially prayer for life, and then throughout each day. Note, it's interesting that the Psalms contain time references. And so I don't think this is insignificant. Uh, uh, We don't want to become legalists in, in these things. But I want you to see it. First of all, I quoted from Psalm 1-2. It says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he does what? He meditates day and night. And then the rest come from Psalm 119. I remember your name in the night, O Lord. At midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I rise before dawn and cry for help. Uh, my eyes are awake before. And, and, so, and then, interesting, 164. Seven times a day, I praise you for your righteous rules. And I had the thought, are we not reminded of the gospel descriptions of our Lord Jesus Christ? Who often it's recorded of him. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 35, I think it is. It says, and while it was still, he had had a full prior day of ministry going into the evening. And it says, and while it was still dark in the morning of the next day, he rose, went out to a desolate place and prayed. When he prays for his disciples, who it's going to be, he prays all night. And so we want to sense that... God's Word is not afraid to speak about people who, who at all times of the day are seeking to feed themselves on His Word and through it find communion with God. And I'll just say we, you, you apply that as you need to. But then, of course, I think there are actual disciplines that are here. And, I, and you'll see I've bolded those. It's the idea, do I have, when I come to this book, am I intending to learn? Is my intent to seek the Lord? I think it's important. It's not by mistake. With my lips, I declare. Do you put God's words on your lips and speak them out? Whether in conversation to a spouse or to a brother or to a sister, uh, do we make use of them and verbalize them? You get the issue of delight. Meditation is a key term. You'll see, and I didn't list all of them, but I, uh, at verse 97 there, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. 
And so the intention, of course, as well, is to keep this word, to cling to it, to walk in it. Um, and so you'll see my application there. Do you, do I, do we intentionally, do we purposefully, do we wisely plan our days to include the consumption of the Word of God? Remember the most fundamental, very concise statement from really Deuteronomy, but also quoted by our Lord. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. All right, main point four. Uh, God's word is always our higher priority over worldly experiences. And my rationale in this, uh, I mean, I give some other scriptures just because they are um, uh, more, you might say, to the point. But the fact that our psalmist speaks of opposition and such reminds us that God's word cuts, divides, separates. It's why there are references to sinners and the wicked and such. And this same word which lives and leads us to God himself also provides a truth and standards whereby we judge our every aspect of our lives, our, our words, our thoughts, our actions. It creates a worldview. So just like we, we, you might say, this book has a two-way road going through it. I come to it and seek communion with God, and as God teaches me, instructs me, I learn and such, it, that truth comes back, and now all of the concerns of my life are to be ruled by what I learned, by God's Word. It provides a worldview that's there. You'll be familiar with the text from Deuteronomy 6. After the great commandment, you shall love the Lord. It is that instruction to teach diligently your children, to have this, this word at every activity uh, in the household. Romans 12, Paul, this great transformation passage, that we are to have our minds transformed uh, by the have be transformed by the renewing of your mind through the word. One of the interesting texts is 2 Corinthians 10. Look at this. Paul is Paul understands there is spiritual warfare. How do we fight uh, in the culture? He says, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Now he's speaking to the church, and so there can be aspects of church discipline. But we live in a world where through, through Hollywood, through, through media, through print, through television, through movies. There are constantly philosophies and, and standards coming our way. How do we fight? How do we evaluate them? How do we determine what is good, what is not? It is through God's Word. Everything, just a couple of thoughts again. Uh, I'm now on my last page at D. 
Uh, all our experience of God, every new sense of closeness, every fresh ambition to walk with Him, everything must be governed and controlled, dominated by His word of truth. Like Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. And we need to stop. See, we have conversations with one another. And we have con conversations with other Christian friends. And some Christian might say, well, you know, I find God in, in this way. And you're sitting there thinking, ah, that doesn't sound according to God's word. Well, if it's not according to the word, then who's wrong? Your friend is wrong. Uh, and, you know, the, the classic case in point, I think I can marry an unbeliever and be in the will of God. I think Jesus is pleased with me doing that. Wrong conclusion. You know that because of the Word of God. And so you can see how it puts an obligation on us to be faithful to God according to His Word in all the concerns of our lives. Uh, you'll see comments by frame and such in our application there as well. And so... How much of this is at work in your life and my life? It is so easy to uh, compromise. And then the last thing, last point. This psalm points me to the provided Savior I need. Is that not a striking way to conclude this psalm with one set, verse 176? After all of the testimonies, of his love for the law and such, he understands still, and in a sense, maybe precisely because he's been so around God's word, what a description. On the one hand, he still knows himself to be the servant of the Lord. He is still within the covenant community. He is saved by grace. He's not saved by law. He is no legalist. But he says, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. I'm still not forgetting your commandments. But who, who is that person? Who can be that Savior? And you'll see, you'll see my application. Jesus is the true man of Psalm 119. Nobody else who's ever lived could ever say what he said is recorded in John 8.29. He who sent me, the Father, he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. He is the Word incarnate. He is the perfect sacrifice for sinners, able to give to us in salvation complete conformity to the law in him because he did it. His perfect righteousness. I have a book, and many of you profited from the ministry of Francis Schaeffer. I couldn't help but see a little comedy, maybe an irony in this. He wrote a wonderful book. He entitled it as one of his philosophical works, He, that is God, He is there, and He is not silent. I thought it was better to be a, a more positive statement concerning what we learn here is that God is always here 
and he is always speaking. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, your word has been before us so much here. We feel so uh, often uh, overwhelmed with uh, texts such as this. Lord, it is your word. You still speak it into our lives. It is still your best will for us. And now our prayers become the prayers of your word. Please look with favor upon your servants. Seek us as we too often go astray like lost sheep. Teach us, Lord. Cause us to learn. Conform us to your word. And in the, if we might take upon our lips, O Lord, that repeated prayer. We have life. We believe that you have given us eternal life in the gospel in Jesus Christ. But it is not a mistake to pray for that daily experience of communion with you. Give to us life, O Lord, according to your word. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.